Hello and welcome to this podcast which seeks to understand vaccine hesitancy from a gendered lens and advocate the need for tailoring immunization programs to better address the health concerns of women. My name is Lakshita Vanda and I'm a research fellow working with the legal design and regulation team at Prithi Center for Legal Policy New Delhi. Today I'm in conversation with Mr. Kashish Aneja, a practicing advocate in Delhi, co-founder of the Society for Democratic Rights and a consultant with the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law, Washington DC. Kashish possesses global expertise in health laws and has advised governments, international organizations and private bodies on national and international litigations and policy matters. This podcast is set in the backdrop of a recent report published by the Legal Design and Regulation team at Bithi Center for Legal Policy, which delved deeper into the issue of COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy among women and examined immunization strategies from a gendered lens. The report, published in November 2022, examined the concept of vaccine hesitancy through the metric of complacency, convenience, and confidence, commonly known as the three C's. This concept was brought into sharper focus with the COVID-19 pandemic. We understand that while a robust immunization program could have significantly reduced fatality rates, unclear public preferences and attitudes towards COVID-19 vaccines aggravated hesitancy among the public. The report endeavored to make a closer inquiry into the concerns, attitudes, and other perspectives which shape acceptance, refusal, or hesitancy to take vaccines. We start this conversation today with the hope that going forward, both government and non-government bodies adopt a multifaceted approach and arrive at innovative solutions which cater to the health concerns of differently placed citizens while formulating inoculation policies. On this note, I'd like to ask Kashish, to what extent do you think vaccine hesitancy undermines immunization programs? Hi, Lakshita. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be on this podcast. And at the outset, before I begin, I think it's important to start with this caveat that uh, I'm not an immunologist and I'm not an epidemiologist. But, uh, but as you mentioned, I'm a lawyer by training and I specialize in health law and policy. So a bunch of what I'll be speaking here today will be referring to studies conducted across the world and specifically also in India. And I would also like to take this opportunity to congratulate Vidhi and specifically your team for the fantastic work on the vaccine hesitancy report. I think it is one of the few good literature focusing on gender inequality in vaccine, in vaccine hesitancy out there. So getting back to your question of to what extent does vaccine hesitancy undermine immunization programs? Uh, since the very invention of vaccinations, there has been concern about vaccine hesitancy. And one of the early instances came from France when in the 1990s, the universal vaccination program against hepatitis B was suspended due to false assertions of the side effects of the vaccine. And more recently, there was evidence of vaccine hesitancy in 2017 against the measles rubella campaign in India. This was also one of the first few instances where social media played a significant role in widespread misinformation in India regarding the adverse effects of the vaccine. There has been reluctance to accept measles vaccine in parts of Europe, HPV vaccines in Japan and India, polio vaccine in parts of Nigeria and Pakistan. A 2022 study related to COVID-19 in India observed that a percentage increase in vaccine hesitancy can also lead to a decline in vaccine, uh, in vaccine coverage by up to 30%. And this happened, and this happens directly by decreasing vaccine uptake and indirectly through hostility to mandatory vaccination policy. In terms of directly, the decreased vaccine uptake has a threefold effect. First, 
It increases the spread and the mortality rate of communicable diseases. Second, it prevents the early eradication of diseases. And finally, it may lead to the resurgence of diseases that have already been eradicated. I'll briefly talk about these three side effects uh, of vaccine hesitancy. The first, as I mentioned, that there is a correlation between vaccine hesitancy and the increased disease incidences and the mortality rate. And uh, a study found out that where vaccine hesitancy was greater, the mortality rate and peak incidence of COVID-19 was greater. A similar 2022 global study found that vaccine hesitancy could increase mortality over a two-year period by up to 7.6 times. I mentioned was that vaccine hesitancy prevents early eradication of diseases. Uh, according to a 2011 WHO strategic advisory group of experts on immunization, also known as the SAGE, according to their report, vaccine hesitancy was a contributing factor to the difficulty in reaching 100% DPT3 coverage in the Southeast Asia. The report also noted the non-compliance with vaccination was a major cause for concern in reducing wild poliovirus transmission in Nigeria, and as well as played a huge role in uh, as a hurdle in the vaccine hesitancy program uh, as far as polio was concerned in India. I think we've all heard about the false claims surrounding polio vaccines that it contained pig's blood. And finally, as I mentioned, vaccine hesitancy may also lead to the resurgence of diseases that have already been eradicated. For instance, low vaccine uptake in the UK caused it to lose its status as having eliminated measles in 2018. So I think evidence clearly suggests that vaccine hesitancy undermines immunization programs and there is a need to strategically tackle this issue. Thanks a lot, Kashish, uh, for elaborating on this with uh, all of these very relevant examples. Um, having said this, what do you think are some of the core reasons that contribute to vaccine hesitancy? So uh, the behavior of vaccine hesitant individuals or communities is quite complex. And the determinants of hesitancy are highly variable across geographies and societies. And before I come to India, I'll take some international examples. In Greece, socioeconomic factors such as the number of other siblings, a father's education, were the most important predictive factors of both under and delayed childhood vaccination. And the paternal attitudes and beliefs about vaccination were found to be nearly non-significant in this regard. Uh, a study in Nigeria found that partial immunization was most influenced by factors such as maternal availability and the lack of knowledge, whereas paternal Disapproval played a more influential role in non-immunization. Um, a study on MMR vaccines in the United Kingdom found that different factors influence decision-making at each dose with degrees of influence also varying at each dose. Uh, we all know about the H1N1 infl uh, influenza pandemic. Uh, the SAGE highlighted that while many countries in America successfully deployed influenza pandemic vaccines to the general public, Many had difficulty in convincing pregnant women to accept vaccine, even when faced with strong evidence of increased morbidity and mortality caused by the influenza. Many pregnant women hesitated to obtain pandemic influenza vaccine, despite the recommendations by their healthcare provider and their country's immunization program leaders. I know we'll dive more into women and women hesitancy later in the podcast today. So. SAGE has established a working group to identify the determinants of vaccine hesitancy. And in defining the term vaccine hesitancy, it defined three factors which influence vaccine hesitancy, confidence, complacency, and convenience. And I think Vidhi's report also builds upon this model of three Cs. So the vaccine complacency exists when perceived risks of vaccine-preventable diseases are low and vaccination is not deemed a necessary preventive action. 
Vaccine convenience is measured by the extent to which physical availability, affordability, and willingness to pay, geographical accessibility, and ability to understand, that is language, as well as health literacy, as well as digital literacy, and the appeal of immunization services uptake effects. And finally, confidence, that is the doubts towards the efficacy of the vaccine and the low levels of trust in the vaccine itself or healthcare authorities. There's another interesting model that categorizes the determinants of the factors of, of vaccine hesitancy into contextual issues, that is issues influenced due to historic, sociocultural, environmental, health systems, economic or political factors, or individual and group influences, that is influences arising from personal perceptions of the vaccine or influences of the peer or the social environment. And finally, the third category of vaccine or vaccine-specific issues, for example, those including, including uh, scientific evidence of risks and benefits, the mode of administration, reliability, costs, and vaccination schedule. There can also be socio-demographic barriers prevalent in specific groups, a person such as elderly people, people, uh, persons living alone, and persons of specific races may face barriers to vaccination. There was a very interesting recent Facebook survey done in 2022 on COVID-19 that found that India had one of the highest rates of vaccine acceptance in the world with almost 77% of respondents indicating that they would like to receive the vaccination. While concerns about side effects are typically the main reason for hesitancy, the survey found out that the top factor contributing to hesitancy in India was that people stated that they want to wait and see if the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and get it later, which was indicated by nearly 47% of the respondents who did not want a COVID-19 vaccine. And the second most common reason for not, uh, for not wanting the vaccine, and this is quite interesting, was that I think other people need it more than I do right now, quote unquote, which was indicated by 37% of respondents. And so in India, particularly for women, studies have shown that women are often vaccine hesitant due to factors such as the lack of access, myths related to the side effects, familial responsibilities, and the lack of technology and access to information. Specifically in, in context of COVID-19, uh, in, in COVID I personally think that firstly, distrust towards the vaccine stemming from the trials to the side effects, both short and long term. And secondly, the digital illiteracy and excess play a significant role. So, Kashish, um, thank you so much for that response. And as you rightly mentioned, even the uh, Vidhi report uh, delves into uh, greater detail as regards the three C's and also um, deals with a lot of other factors that may contribute to vaccine hesitancy, both, both at the societal and individual level. Having said this, the larger question is, do you, do you think that some sections of the society are more predisposed to being vaccine hesitant than the others? Uh, yeah, I think I do. And I mean, apart from women, which is the main focus of this podcast and a report, I think there are other sections of the society as well. Uh, uh, there's, there are studies which have shown different demographics have different attitudes towards vaccine. And in its 2011 report, the SAGE Working Group found that factors such as age, occupation, religious affiliation, culture, gender, and the place of residence affects vaccine hesitancy. Specifically in the Southeast Asia region, culture, child's gender, place of residence, religious affiliation, and age acted as, as a barrier or, or promoter to child vaccination. Uh, a quite recent survey uh, in India found that factors such as age, gender, geography, education level, and economic status are associated with vaccine hesitancy. And as per the survey, females were more vaccine hesitant and respondents holding a graduate degree and above 
were more in favor of getting vaccinated compared with respondents who had less than 10 years of schooling. And respondents living in high-income households are also more likely to be vaccinated compared to low-income households. Interestingly, this study actually compared its, its results to a cross-country analysis. And they found out that women in high-income countries, such as France, Germany, Sweden, are more likely to accept a vaccine than men. And I think that's where the importance of country-specific or rather region-specific reports and studies plays importance. There was another study in 2021 in Tamil Nadu, which found that younger individuals, women, rural residents belonging to low-income labor class were highly mistrusting of the vaccine. Across the globe, there is no uniformity of vaccine hesitancy in rural and urban persons, while in some classes, a particular rural ethnic communities and, and minorities, as well as remote communities were affected. In other areas, wealthy urban residents expressed concerns regarding vaccine safety. I was listening to a WHO podcast recently where Dr. Kate O'Brien, who is the director of the Department of Immunization, Vaccines and Biologicals at the WHO headquarters, identified three reasons for vaccine hesitancy among older adults in low-income countries. And the first of them being that many older adults don't have birth certificates and don't actually know what their age is. The second, that acceptability of vaccines, including issues such as social norms, customs, and religious beliefs. And finally, accessibility due to the limited mobility of older persons. There was a 2021 survey which found out that uh, the primary reasons for vaccine hesitancy, uh, among specifically among the rural areas, was misinformation spread through the word of mouth, WhatsApp forwards, as well as Facebook. I think information asymmetry is also an issue in public health. And... Uh, your report mentions that uh, the entire concept of information asymmetry as well and says that there is a high degree of disconnect between information on which healthcare professionals operate and the information that the general public uses for the actions that they take. And this issue of, of information asymmetry is, is further aggravated for women in India whose ability to access information in general is marred due to factors such as socioeconomic background, age and education qualification. And finally, I believe that the uh, digital gender divide, which was seen uh, much more during the COVID-19 pandemic, it leads to a, a questionable access to information regarding women's uh, physical and mental health, and as a result, uh, leading to vaccine hesitancy among women. Shtokashish, we realize that a myriad of factors may affect the willingness of um, certain sections of the population to take the vaccine and this might be more rampant uh, and might also disproportionately affect um, a few of those who don't have access to resources. However, given your experience in the public health domain, what do you think is the best way to combat vaccine hesitancy both at the government and non-government level? So, I think a first step towards uh, combating vaccine hesitancy begins with accurately identifying and uh, measuring hesitancy, both generally and specifically in different contexts. Identifying and the measuring of barriers to vaccine acceptance is critical to inform a cost-effective strategies to address uh, vaccine hesitancy. And, it, and it, it is critical to identify vaccine reluctance from both internal as well as external sources. And there are numerous tools under development. For example, the Vaccine Barriers Assessment Tool is currently being developed. And it, uh, it's a project funded by the New Zealand uh, Health Research Council to address both acceptance-related and access-related barriers to childhood immunization in Australia and New Zealand. And there's an example of a tool which can also be later used in other settings, including low and middle income countries. Uh, the state governments in India should 
I think, invest in evidence-based research and also targeted research, including gendered research, to identify sections of the population with lower trust in vaccines and recognize causes of their hesitancy to expand immunization coverage. I think the second point I would like to mention here is communication and community engagement. I personally feel like vaccine hesitancy is a side effect or a phenomena of a communication only. And it's a phenomena of a mistrust, which has been really highlighted during the COVID-19 pandemic. So broad vaccine information campaigns can influence vaccine attitudes in the community, but they need to be tailored communication, which is often required to reach high risk or the vulnerable populations, such as vaccine communication should be evidence-based, uh, context-specific and culturally appropriate, and it should be tailored to the individual's position on the vaccine hesitancy continuum. By, by engaging with specific groups based on their concerns, the discussions can be focused and are more likely to be likely to be productive and less confrontational. Uh, I think while talking about communication, it's important that uh, they should be based out of local languages and they should be collaborated with strong scientific evidence of vaccine safety and evidence. The third point I, I like to mention, which is stemming up from communication itself, is a controlling misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation, disinformation, or myths about vaccines are significantly correlated with vaccine hesitancy. And the Indian government is enhancing its communication methods. And we've seen a lot of creative methods which have come out during the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly the social media. But it's also a time where we need to use technology to the best of the advantage. Keeping in mind the digital divide, uh, divide which is created because of extensive use of uh, technology in such communications. There was uh, interesting tools which were used during the pandemic, including the Aspirational Districts Collaborative, which is an initiative of Niti Aayog and the Pyramid Foundation uh, project. Then uh, another recommendation could be like increasing accessibility in general, because and, and that's the part of the convenience limb of the of the three C's, where uh, many women and rural populations are hesitant to get vaccinated because of their lack of access to vaccination centers and appropriate healthcare facilities. The lack of access comes in many forms. It could be a lack of mobility, which makes it difficult for women to access vaccination centers. As I mentioned before, the lack of internet and the online resources, which makes it difficult for them to gather basic information about vaccines and even to register for the vaccinations. This access can be increased through mobile vaccination centers, door-to-door -door canvassing, and, and encouraging walk-in vaccinations. There's another fifth uh, point I could mention, although it's a controversial one which includes creating incentives as well as giving vaccine, uh, issuing vaccine mandates. And uh, an individual may be rewarded for getting uh, the advised vaccinations through incentives or positive reinforcement of vaccine receipts. I remember somewhere on 2021, we had seen news coming from New York, I think, where the mayor had announced giving burgers or like beers as an incentive to getting vaccinated. I'm not uh, propagating that, but I'm just referring it as an example over here. Uh, so apart from like a positive incentives, there are uh, punitive tactics which many governments have used, for example, mandates, vaccine mandates, using persuasion to ensure that people receive the necessary vaccines. We have seen uh, vaccine mandates coming during COVID-19 across the world. Uh, a few have been focused with specific groups, for example, the healthcare workers, the government employees, elderly and children. We have seen some litigation across it, including in India. Uh, specifically on vaccine mandates as an issue. So I think these five would generally sum up uh, what I have as general ways to combat vaccine hesitancy, both at the government and the non-government level. 
thank you so much kashish i think this definitely gives us a lot to think about but moving towards uh, confidence building which uh, forms an integral part of the three c's um our study found that six, more than 65% of the respondents said that they were concerned about the risks in terms of side effects and serious adverse events from the currently available covid-19 vaccines um talking more specifically about india how do you think a uh, better confidence building could have been done as regards the covid-19 vaccine so now since we're moving the conversation to its covid-19 i think i'll begin with saying that the past 2 years have been unprecedented as you all know but it's been phenomenal to an extent how the governments have handled the pandemic uh everyone has made mistakes we've learned a lot but we have also a lot to be proud of uh and a lot to learn from having said that something not to be proud of was the amount of disinformation that has cropped up during the covid-19 pandemic and during the initial phase of the covid-19 immunization process survey suggests that one of the largest contributing factors to vaccine hesitancy was disinformation a 2021 survey in india found that 27% of the of the respondents thought that death is an expected symptom of the covid-19 vaccine 8% believe that the vaccines cause impotency and 4% said that the vaccine could cause problems with the menstrual cycle and despite the rollout of the covid-19 vaccine which started in january 2021 there has been unclear public preferences and attitudes during the first couple of months in 2021 towards the overall acceptance of the covid-19 vaccine in june 2021 there is a study which noted that 58% of the unvaccinated population uh Uh, could be vaccine hesitant, and there were three factors which was found to be most clearly closely associated with COVID nineteen vaccine hesitancy, including the concerns about vaccination effectiveness for disease prevention, concerned about adverse effects of the vaccine, and the low perceived disease severity. So, there were a lot of factors, a lot of events uh, that I think happened during twenty twenty and a couple of months in twenty twenty one. that have resulted in this vaccine hesitancy keeping in mind that uh with the unprecedented rate of the pandemic there were unprecedented ways in which vaccines were developed we've never seen vaccines coming up in a year and not only one multiple number of vaccines coming up number of vaccines being issued emergency use authorization number of vaccines going in different phase of the trial uh, across the world in different regions uh, uh but some specific events uh, that happened in india which could have contributed to the issue of of, of vaccine hesitancy included issues of vaccines not being tested rigorously enough to determine its adverse effects and the long term efficacy uh, we all know there were reports about the about the probable shortage of vaccines in india which also played a part in the public perception of trust in the government in the public behavior towards the vaccines and trust is like the uh, is like the 101 of uh, communication skills uh, there were a constant tension between vaccine exports uh, holding of vaccines uh, and then which vaccines to be exported or not a gifting of vaccines to neighbors while we had a sh- we had a shortage as well as the entire uh, made in india a vaccine campaign these could be some factors although all the speculative which could have contributed to the vaccine hesitancy in india then there were a constant shifting of blame between the state government and the central government there was use of covaxin sorry there was use of the covin a uh, platform there was issues regarding the privacy of the of of the platform 
uh, a lot of uh, misinformation surrounding the efficacy and the, and the side effects of the vaccine. There were rumors concerning, as I mentioned, impotency among men, infertility among women. A very interesting and a bizarre rumor about about DNA chips being administered instead of vaccines, and and then the lack of public health infrastructure further, I think, exacerbated the entire hesitancy. So these were a lot of a lot of factors and a lot of events which happened as far as uh, the immunization strategy in, in, in India was concerned during, during COVID-19. And the perception of women uh, specifically, I think, wasn't addressed well in the entire immunization program. Uh, uh, it, it was affected by the fact that the official official communication regarding the safety of vaccines for, for pregnant women, and I think this mentioned in your report as well it came a couple of months after the five after the first stage of a vaccine rollout so to an extent the vaccine rollout all i think altogether ignored the fact that that didn't have specific vaccine hesitancy uh, regarding their uh, their specific health concerns and uh, the indian government did not recommend the administration of vaccines to pregnant women up until i think july 2021 and they started the vaccination rollout in january 2021 so in short, if I were to pick my top two pitfalls of the COVID-19 vaccine program, I would say the one of them being uh, communication, including aspects of miscommunication about a lot of issues that I talked about uh, right now. And then the second would be the uh, digital divide. And so, so in short, there was a lack of a building trust in the general public, at least in the initial couple of months. As far as uh, building greater confidence is concerned, I think that would again begin with targeted measures. Uh, an example of a successful targeted measure during the pandemic itself comes from a 2021 November uh, uh, survey or, or a study which was done by UNICEF in collaboration with Facebook, where they analyzed the specific markers that created vaccine hesitancy in India. And they, and they specifically identified two vaccine barriers. First was the doubts about the efficacy and the safety of vaccine and the wait and see attitude. And they identified two vaccine promoters, one being national pride and the second being a testimonial. So after analyzing the, the vaccine barriers and the vaccine promoters, they designed social media posts to specifically target these barriers and promoters. So specific targeted and measured responses to vaccine hesitancy they can be much more economic and efficacious than more general efforts. Sure. Uh, so, Kashish, as you, as you spoke about uh, the need for targeted measures um, as a means for confidence building, to what extent do you think immunolo immunological responses are gendered in the sense that immediately after the rollout of vaccines in India, we had women expressing concerns about infertility, disturbed menstruation cycles, hormonal health, and um, as you mentioned, even pregnancy. So um, to what extent do you think men and women react differently to vaccines? Okay, that's a very important conversation, especially with regard to the subject matter we're discussing. But uh, I would also have a very limited response to this question, mainly because I'm not an I'm not an immunologist, and since opinions coming from the right expert is a key ingredient to an effective communication, I'm going to respect that fundamentals of the scientific communications over here. But uh, having said that. I think we've already seen the gendered response to inoculation drives in India and globally. And the responses of women to immunization depends on factors such as the phases of their health, age, financial power, education, and their socio-cultural positions in the community. There are studies regarding this across the world. 
some specifically coming from India as well. And another factor for vaccine hesitancy, uh, I think among women is the lack of available scientific data regarding the, the possible adverse side effects of vaccines for, for, for women in general. And the lack of access to credible sources of information, which I mentioned above in the form of the, uh, the digital divide plays an important role. But one of the biggest factor for vaccine hesitancy in women, and I think that like really a differentiate between cis men and cis women is uh, especially with regard to uh, prenatal women. And it has been seen in the, in the sense of lack of data about safety of the vaccines for the female body and the possibility of the harm to the fetuses and the relation between the vaccine and pregnancy. So uh, we need appropriate studies, we need trials which uh, also focus on this aspect, and we need adequate data coming out of these trials, adequate communication targeted at the right audience in order to make sure that the entire aspect of vaccine hesitancy among women is addressed. Having also mentioned that, I'd like to quickly mention some uh, specific reasons why women found difficulty accessing vaccines uh, and specifically in the Indian context. This includes things like a lack of decision-making ability in the Indian societal structure uh, uh, and especially because a lot of a lot of a lot of households are in a joint setup. Then second there are often uh, financial constraints. Uh, most women in impoverished and and in rural societies work on a daily wage and uh, and they depend on days of wages to make the uh, uh, to make the ends meet then there are issues of mobility as i mentioned above sometimes vaccination camps are located far away from the uh, from the homes and they can't really leave their homes uh, to get the vaccination done there are fears of side effects specifically focused on female health there is lack of access to information technology as i mentioned earlier uh, cost can be an important concern, especially where vaccinations are not available free of cost, and uh, specifically in cases um, and in and societies such as India, where there is a significant rural population. So I think that would briefly sum up my response to the immunological responses, if they are gendered, and how I think women react differently to vaccinations. Sure, Pashish. Thank you so much. Um, having said this, to what extent do you think uh, tailoring inoculation programs for women would be feasible from a policy perspective? Oh, uh, I think it's quite feasible. And uh, and and to begin with, I think I think a starting step would be a targeted scientific studies and research, which would look at the possible adverse side effects of vaccines for women in general, and then in different categories, including different phases of their health, such as the pre and the postnatal uh, effects. Uh, uh, from studies, it shows that uh, women are often concerned uh, that the after effect of vaccines will impede their uh, daily lives. And that's particularly a concern for women in the Indian society, I think. One way of addressing this concern would be, I would say, is to speed up the process of recording and reporting and investigation of cases of adverse events following immunization, also known as the acronym AEFI. Uh, often, often countries believe that not reporting adverse events would be helpful, but it's actually the other way around because people want to know about the possible adverse event. People want transparency, and that builds up uh, trust and confidence, which will help in uh, tackling vaccine hesitancy. And this would also allow accurate real-time data to be used in determining the risk factors of vaccines. It is also suggested that health workers 
and a frontline workers be involved in the process of informing pregnant women as well as new mothers about the efficacy and the need for vaccines. Uh, as I mentioned before, that the targeted communication plays a, a critical role, and in that sense, the immunization programs can be tailored specifically for women. Uh, we had examples of targeted posts from UNICEF as well as Facebook which are able to show that specific targeted and measured responses to vaccine hesitancy are way more efficacious. That is definitely very interesting, Kashishan. Um, I think we have sufficiently established uh, in this podcast on the importance of tailoring these inoculation programs for women and better addressing their health concerns going forward. Given your experience in the global health uh, sector and uh, more specifically as regards uh, health policy, what are the key takeaways uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic and the public health emergency it brought with it? What do you think have been our key lessons and uh, do you think India will be better prepared to deal with such a crisis in the future? So uh, I'll first start a brief comment generally and then since I know uh, our topic is focused specifically on vaccine hesitancy, I'll dive into that itself. I think up until 2020, law was seen a, a possibly a likely tool for public health response and preparedness. I think after 2020, this has changed. Law is one of the most crucial and rather one of the first tools to handle any public health response uh, and preparedness. Vaccines always come later. First, there are uh, legal measures which takes place as an immediate response to vaccines, uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to any public health emergency. And we have seen them, I mean, in a most common language, we've seen them in the form of mask mandates, lockdowns, uh, uh, international travel restrictions, and, and so on and so forth. So that's been one of the key takeaway, I would say, from the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and about how people need to understand from all sphere of life the role of law in public health and how that needs to be developed and, and what all we need to learn from, from the specific event. Uh, Talking specifically to the context of uh, COVID-19 vaccination programs and, and specifically to, uh, to the extent of India, I believe that India's public health emergency response and the, and the COVID-19 vaccination program built upon its pre-existing experience and infrastructure. And we've had quite some successes. The, the, uh, the biggest achievement of India's immunization program is the eradication of smallpox. One most significant uh, milestone is that India has been polio-free for almost 33 months. And these are important, significant achievements as far as public health is concerned in a, in a huge population of almost 1.4 billion. As of the 20th of uh, December, which was yesterday, India has administered nearly 2.20 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines. This is unprecedented and especially gives an opportunity to build a stronger infrastructure, including the legal infrastructure. But three key lessons and areas for improvement as far as the pandemic and the vaccine hesitancy is concerned. And, and, and I think this is going to sum up much of the conversation we've had earlier today. Is first working on communication, specifically how to communicate health and public health issues to the general public, which basically means reducing the informational asymmetry in the health sector. There needs to be targeted communication and we need to learn, in fact, we need to learn from the political campaigns and how communication is so effectively planned in such campaigns. If they can do it in politics, I'm sure they can do it in public health as well. 
Then second, I would say there's a need to work on reducing the digital divide and the digital illiteracy. The health sector is increasingly getting digitalized and this can result in limited access to healthcare if the digital divide isn't addressed soon. And finally, I would say vaccination drives should be tailored for sections of the society uh, that are more predisposed to the hesitant uh, to be hesitant towards vaccination. This definitely includes women. Uh, I also highly endorse the idea of rethinking the legal framework for public health emergencies in India that your report mentions in one of its conclusions. Throughout the pandemic, there has been constant tension between the center and the state regarding the powers and the duties in a public health emergency response. And unfortunately, our current legal infrastructure and framework does not provide a clear mechanism for an effective public health emergency response. And while this is an altogether different conversation, although super important one, I just felt I should flag this out over here. And with regards to the future and what the future holds, and are we well prepared for the future? Uh, uh, I think, as they say, the future is now, unfortunately, in this case, because monkeypox hasn't gone. And there is a suspected another wave of COVID-19 that is building up in China, which is likely to spread in other parts of the world. And uh, I, I think it's time to open the conversation of boosters, booster vaccinations in India, and to focus on improving and strengthening the immunity levels of general public, and also focusing a bit on how we can help beyond our jurisdiction, because uh, we have realized that this is a global concern. This is not limited to our jurisdictions alone. There's no point just thinking about our own jurisdiction. So in short, we have had a lot of successes and failures in public health law and policy in the past two years. And I, I think now is the time to build on the successes while we learn from failures. Thank you, Kashish, for uh, ending this on such an optimistic note. Uh, we all hope that going forward, uh, a multifaceted approach can be taken by uh, the society with equal and active participation of both government and non-government bodies towards ensuring that innovative solutions which cater to the needs and health concerns of differently placed citizens are examined more closely while forming inoculation policies. This brings us to the end of the podcast today. Thank you so much, Kashish, for engaging in this very fruitful discussion discussion and also sharing your views on this very important issue. Of course, each of the ideas discussed today requires greater deliberation and much more depth. Uh, nonetheless, we can only hope that this helps us reimagine the ways in which public health emergencies disproportionately affect women and the pressing need to tailor immunization programs to address their concerns. Vidhi Center for Legal Policy will continue to organize such online and offline discussions to build more discourse around the issue. Until then, Thank you.